0: You're listening to a StrangerCast at thestranger.com.
1: Hey, it's Wednesday, April 3rd, and I'm Eli Sanders, and this is Blabbermouth, the Stranger podcast in which we talk about what's going on this week. Dan Savage is gone, but don't worry, Rich Smith is here, and so is Katie Hertzog, sitting in the Dan Savage chair to talk about the situation with Joe Biden. Creepy Joe, as some are calling him. He now has, as of this recording, four women accusing him of inappropriate contact. He says he never intended any harm, but also he's a handsy retail politician. Is this disqualifying for Joe Biden's presumed run for the presidency? After that, the latest nuclear option shenanigans from Mitch McConnell and a Trump dodge on his attempt to repeal Obamacare. And then finally, Jasmine Kymig and Charles Mudede are here to talk about the movie Us. There's a lot in it, and Jasmine and Charles have a lot to say about it. But first, Joe Biden, Katie Herzog. Hello. Hello. Sitting in the Dan Savage throne, the
0: hot seat. Yep.
1: Are you feeling huggy?
0: No, I am not feeling huggy, and I don't <laughs> know that this is because I'm sitting in Dan's seat because I never feel huggy. But maybe I'm extra non. Don't touch me. Just Eli, <laughs> stop. Eli, stop. Stop touching me.
1: Okay. Yeah, Dan is a big anti-hugger, like just do not even come near him with an attempt at a hug. Um Rich, are you? Uh, oh, I hug. Yeah, I do. Do you...
0: You need to cut that out, Rich.
1: Do you use the hugs as <laughs> a secret a vehicle for a hair sniff? I don't know. that that The sniffing is extremely
2: strange to it me. It is and weird. Animalistic and, and intimate. I, I don't even know if I sniff people with whom I'm intimate. With? Did you just hear those two whiffs come out of my mouth like mm-hmm. that? I apologize. Uh no, you don't sniff people. But I I, I I sometimes I hug. But you know, you gotta know when to hug, when not to hug.
0: The sniffing a- this is a this is a move that over the last couple of days I've been I've been pulling on my girlfriend. I walk up behind her and I smell her hair and she goes creepy Joe. You're creepy Joe. <laughs> so
1: creepy gross. Joe. So that's obviously what we're talking about. Joe Biden <laughs> who has not declared that he is running for president but has all but declared he's running for president now has by my count this morning four and maybe more by the end of the podcast women accusing him of inappropriate hugging that frequently involves a lean in for a hair sniff Mm -hmm. and maybe a kiss on the head and back of the head on the back of the head so it's the the kiss you give someone when you lead them uh, across the
2: plank or to their to the it's a, it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange fatal kiss.
1: It's a, this all like started me. with Lucy Flores. She's a former Nevada legislator who came forward over the weekend and recounted Biden unwantedly hugging her from behind, kissing the back of her head and sniffing her hair before they got on stage at a rally in Nevada. This was not totally shocking because the Internet is filled with pictures of Biden, like kind of creepily hugging people over many years at all kinds of public events. But Lucy Flores was the first person to come forward and give an account of it and say this was wrong. And shortly after that, uh, another woman came forward and then two more in a New York Times story that posted yesterday, all describing the same thing, public-ish event event. Biden being very handsy, maybe a little gropey, but definitely unwanted in his touchiness and kind of creepy. Yeah. What do you think, Rich? Is this disqualifying?
2: Disqualifying for the presidency?
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, for two reasons, I would say... Yeah, <laughs> oh, one because there's 16 people in the Democratic field right now. um If you we've known Joe Biden as as being a kind of a creepy handsy guy who was just kind of waiting to get accused of harassment, these women aren't claiming that he harassed them uh, or didn't rise to the level of sexual harassment or sexual assault. I'll I'll say just said like, dude, touch me when I didn't want to. We're not doing that anymore. Um, More than the – what he did was how he responded to what he did. He didn't say like, oh, Flores, I'm sorry. (laughs) I shouldn't have done that. I'm going to change my ways, right? This is what – this is the general thing that if you have empathy for a person, you're supposed to do. He said, oh, sorry. I'm I'm, – well, he said – he didn't even say sorry. He said, I'm a toucher. By the way, I've got 25 women who will back me up that I'm not bad. I'm not a bad guy. And you know times are are, are changing, and i 'll try to keep up with the times but that 's not it, i, I didn 't like his response, and so his sort of failed apology was 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 disqualifying um, also look at two thousand and eighteen we you know Democrats got uh, a majority of the of the house uh, on the on a great wave of of women some women might find the um, the touches uh, and nest, head kisses disqualifying. Some might politically. It seems like you, you don't want to take that risk. You know, you don't want to have a candidate who a lot of people are just going to write off by saying like, no, fuck this why, this handsy guy or this pussy grabber." What the fuck is going on here? You know, you, you just don't want to give people that option. So th- that that's
3: where I would.
1: Biden's uh, statement was not once, <laughs> never did I believe I acted inappropriately. Yeah. So he's saying cool. <laughs> he doesn't remember it in the same way yeah. and uh, his intention it was not to be creepy. But also he says uh, he understands the importance of women coming forward with their stories and that he will listen respectfully. That's That's his kind of stance. So he's trying to do a little better than other people have done, but not good enough. For you, Also, the, the thing that you point out about not a great contrast with Trump, if you've got all kinds of photos of you and accounts of you doing creepy stuff, it doesn't create a great contrast with Trump, who has, you know, many times more accounts and legal cases involving things like that. Um, but it sort of neutralizes your criticism of his behavior toward women. Katie, what do you think of all this?
0: I'm so fucking sick of all of this shit. I'm sick of the presidential race already. I'm sick of Joe Biden. I'm sick of all of the dozen candidates. Um, I think that this is like I can see both sides here. I mean, I think that what he did was for sure creepy. But I also think that if and it sort of shocks me that this is possible. But if nobody actually ever said to him, like, Joe, you got to cut it out. I can sort of see why he would continue to do this behavior and think like, I'm just being like Uncle Joe. I'm just being like affectionate Uncle Joe. And it, by all accounts, he seems to have done this. I don't know if he kissed any men on the back of the head. But by all accounts, he seems to have been sort of also as affectionate with men. And one of these pictures that's been sort of um, re-judged up every time there's a creepy Joe moment was a picture of him and Stephanie Carter, who's the wife of a former um, Secretary of Defense. And, and she wrote an essay on Medium where she says basically like, that picture don't use the picture of joe like rubbing my shoulders as a picture as an example of joe acting badly because she's an old friend of hers and this was not not it was not unwanted on her part at least
1: and let's just describe the picture more fully because this is the one that really goes around he's not just rubbing her shoulders it looks like he's leaning in to kiss her maybe on the lips and is also doing the hair sniff thing again it's the photo well, Ash Carter is being confirmed as defense secretary under Barack Obama, it looks like Joe is making a big move in front of all the cameras on this dude's wife.
0: Right. And it was and it was in front of a bunch of cameras. I mean, clearly, like he's like he he seems to lack this sort of sort of instinct for for self-criticism. I mean, judging his own behavior. Yeah. But she wrote an essay on Medium saying, like. Like there will be other pictures, but don't use this picture of me because this picture this was not this was not an unwelcome moment. He was like helping me out in in like an emotional moment, old family friend. Like this is sort of being taken out of context. So I do think there's sort of an element of that, Um, but also like times have changed, and I think that we need to be a little bit a a little bit sort of patient with old people and their behavior i mean the thing is like i wouldn't vote for are joe. you just
1: saying that because you're in the dan chair
0: no this is how i actually fucking feel and i'm also like dan i'm somebody who doesn't like touches from strangers i like i i would be super creeped out if if, if joe biden or anybody else sniffed my fucking hair for sure but i also think that like if you continue to do the same behavior for decades and nobody ever says like dude you got to cut it out i do have a little sympathy for him not realizing that what he that what has done as like times of change you can't do that shit
1: so I mean, my- when you're a star, they let you do it is Trump's rationale. I mean, it sounds like well, no one no, told I, him to cut it out. Yeah. And he, he was like, whoa, no one tells me to cut it out. So I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think grabbing someone by the pussy is a little bit more obviously different than than leaning in for a hug. I mean, I think it's creepy either way. And I completely understand why these women felt uncomfortable. I think that what they maybe could have done in the moment is say, you're making me uncomfortable.
2: I would only add that this is not the first time that Joe Biden has been in the middle of a conversation about the sexual harassment. You know, (laughs) he has spent the last 20 years alternatively uh, denying or apologizing for his role in essentially the prosecution of Anita Hill. He knows the, uh, very well, um, the conversations around, um, uh, sexual harassment, what constitutes sexual harassment, what doesn't. I'm sure. I mean, there was a, his whole onion profile was about how he was like, you know, a sunglasses wearing guy who was scoping out the bay. Maybe he got, you know, He knows that he's perceived as a creepy person. There's no way he was that disconnected from the American people, right? And if he was that disconnected from the American people, then he shouldn't be the president.
0: I mean, I think it actually is possible that he is that disconnected from the American people. Mm. I think all of them are
2: and as long as we're talking about um, disqualify, other things that disqualify Joe Biden from uh, becoming the next president of the United States we we could also talk about his history of being uh anti-bussing uh his uh speaking at Strom Thurmond uh, segrega- notorious segregationist's funeral calling him a friend we can also talk about his um uh deregulating wall street we can talk about support for mandatory minimum sentences, and a whole other of, of racist and horrible neoliberal policies that have per- uh, perpetuated mass incarceration and uh, income inequality, which he says he's against. So this adds on to a great big pile of reasons why Joe Biden doesn't necessarily be need to be the next, you know, the Democratic nominee.
1: Aside from him being also really old.
0: Y- yeah, he's yeah, 76 sure. right now.
1: Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I'll look so, it up while so we're talking. He would and, be
0: almost eighty by the time this. I mean, not to be ageist, but that's too fucking old. We're like retire, retire, <laughs> please.
1: If you're so old that people let you get away with creepy behavior when you were forty and fifty and so on,
0: you're too fucking old.
1: You're too old. I just, I, I just want to say again, I don't buy this. Like. I'm an old
2: car. You just can't switch out my engine. I'm never going to understand. Like we you know when a woman says don't touch me, don't, if we're not touching and kissing women without their permission now, I don't know where we are in America. Like, I just don't buy that you're 70 years old and you can't change that part. I mean, of I don't name. think
0: he's said that.
2: No, I but I if we're talking, you know, like Theoretically, or whatever. And everyone else has said that about him, David Axelrod, you know, and all these pieces. It's just like, well, that's just Joe, and Joe's never going to change. And look, he's a touchy guy. Everyone's saying that on
0: his behalf. I mean, Nancy Pelosi did the opposite. She said, what did she say? She said, like, Joe needs to cut it the fuck out, or something like that. Like, basically, like, yeah, yeah, times have changed. Joe needs to understand this, which clearly, like, he needs to understand this.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Nancy was right about that.
1: But other people were like, he's never going to change. He is officially 76 years old, by the way. So whoever said that, Was correct. What about this debate over whether Biden should be held to the Franken standard, which seems kind of like what he's being held to right now, or the Trump standard, which is another way of saying the left spends a lot of time having a kind of zero uh, tolerance policy toward its candidates and no one so far has been able to do anything about Trump's way more egregious behavior. Is this just a, a, this problem comes up across all the issues. The Republicans get away with it. The left eats itself up over it. Is this just, that's how it's going to be? I don't know. Is the, I guess I don't understand the, the, the
2: frame. I haven't seen anybody saying like, this is the last straw Joe Biden kiss. like, like you're you're, you're there's uh, plenty
1: of people who are saying and I mean, the i'm difference, not saying the it's between for instance
2: franken and joe biden there's some nuance here that i hope everyone's appreciating <laughs> uh is that eight women uh claimed that they were sexually harassed by uh, al franken there were photos he kissed them on the mouth on backstage without you know permission and ran away those power dynamics he you know, some staffers were involved the um the, so far what we know about joe biden is he's hugs and sniffs women without their permission. There, there does seem to be a recognition of the difference between those two.
1: Well, but moments. you are saying that he shouldn't be president because of it, and you're not the only one. I, what I'm yeah. referring to is an article in the Washington Post about this very thing, the, the Franken-standard, and whether it's going to be applied in... What is the Franken-standard? The Franken-standard Franken is a proxy for this... The, the phrase is a proxy mm-hmm. for the debate over whether what Al Franken did should have resulted in him being kicked out of the Senate or being forced to resign from the Senate. And uh, if you support him being kicked out, then you're a supporter of the Franken standard, which is basically, as I get it, if, uh, if a male politician did some things a long time ago that are way short of what, say, Brett Kavanaugh is accused of doing or what Trump has basically admitted to doing, but there is photographic evidence of at least one of the encounters, and uh, there are multiple people saying they felt uncomfortable about it. Even if he apologizes, and even if he kind of makes the right sounds about how he's going to be going forward, he needs to resign because this past behavior um, is just disqualifying. So that's kind of the Franklin standard, <laughs> and if you that... if <laughs> you apply it to well, it's it's kind of being applied to Biden, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but. But when you apply it to Biden, then he's out right That's it
0: I mean th- this is yeah, as you mentioned, this can sort of be the question is they go low, do we go high? I mean, that's what it comes down to is are Democrats going to going to are we going to force our candidates to act better than the republicans and i I have i have no fucking answer for that because the problem is that if you don't have any power, you can't get anything done. So if you hold people to this to a standard that Nobody else will be held to only only politicians on your own side. You're only going to get the purest candidates. What if you never win? It's like I have no answer for this because it's such a fucking conundrum. Uh,
2: well, I, I luckily we don't seem to be in that position. I think I'll just say that the, whatever the Franken standard is, is an unhelpful category that uh, doesn't allow for uh, the nuance uh, that is uh, already at play uh, in discussions over uh, sexual harassment and the changing culture below it. So we'll dismiss the premise outright. If you'll excuse me, <laughs> and I apologize profusely but i will just add Bang your gavel I, I when you will, dismiss the argument I, I will just add in addition to that luckily we have a large field of of candidates and mm-hmm. you know we don't the sort of like this kind of uh you know last man standing purity test uh, argument thing that I think you're getting at doesn't necessarily need to apply right now. I mean, in the latest polls that I've seen, I think Vox just, um, uh, I think it was an in Vox yesterday. I'm sorry, I can't remember the poll. But, you know, I mean, Bernie, Biden, Warren, uh, O'Rourke, Harris, all these people are polling right now nine percentage points uh, ahead of Trump. Trump is, Trump is stuck at 40, 41%. We don't have to, you know, this isn't the like, Biden is definitely the only person who can beat Trump and if we don't pick Biden because he touches women, we're going to lose. Like That's not where we are right now.
1: Right, which is why I brought up the uh, point earlier about well, there are probably a lot of other reasons that you would say Biden shouldn't get in the race anyway including your ageist and hate (laughs) the idea of a 76-year-old, which I think uh, we all are.
2: Yeah, so I would just say that this is another reason among many why I will not be supporting Uncle
1: Joe.
0: (laughs) How many years before the primary? How long do we have to do this? How
1: many years? Yeah, how many
0: more years? It's less <laughs> than
1: two months, I think, before the first debate.
0: Okay, so then we have another two years of debating. And no, then we can do and then the it's that. like... Years after that. Ten then.
1: months until the Iowa caucuses.
0: This is like, like... It's like sports. Like, it just... It never fucking ends. The season <laughs> never ends.
1: Actually, mercifully, sports seasons do but end. But then they come
0: back the next year, and then another sport replaces that sport, too. Yeah,
1: but like... I don't know. Maybe I'll be proven wrong here, but I think the entirety of baseball... Ball season from like spring training through the playoffs is shorter than the presidential oh, election I'm cycle sure it is. is now because it's multiple years long next we are going to talk about what Mitch McConnell has been up to lately Rich we've been working on your home furnishings that's right your decor is uh, we could call it millennial minimalist that's right a little spartan but uh it's, I dry off with a washcloth Eli. <laughs> but look here you are with this beautiful plush towel it, that i just gave you it's a towel from snow
2: and let me tell you what i'm feeling it right now it's soft but not too soft and it really it really i'm not wet but if i was it would feel like i was really drying off something you know
1: I feel like it's a sign of having your shit together yeah. if you've got A, more than one towel. Here, here. B, like next level after more than one towel is a couple nice towels. That's right. Which Snow has. Snow makes luxury essentials for every room in your home minus the markup. They partner directly with master craftsmen to create beautiful, simple products that are made to last like wine glasses with titanium-coated stems, fast-drying towels that get softer over time, and durable porcelain dinnerware that goes in the dishwasher. Hmm. They even have essentials for your bedroom, too. Snow has received rave reviews from Vogue, Fast Company, Apartment Therapy, and more. It's the home collection of your dreams priced for your reality. You know, my father was a towel craftsman.
2: He crafted towels with his bare hands.
1: On a loom?
2: On a, Yeah, on a, loom, a wooden loom. Over a fire.
1: Right now, in Poland, Snow is offering Blabbermouth listeners $30 off your first purchase of $150 or more when you go to snowhome.com slash blabbermouth. That's S-N-O-W-E home.com slash blabbermouth to get $30 off your first order. Again, visit snowhome.com slash blabbermouth for your first order. Okay. So Mitch McConnell, everyone's favorite Republican Senate majority leader, is going nuclear once again. If you uh, erased from your mind the last time Mitch McConnell went nuclear, it was to get Neil Gorsuch, Trump's first Supreme Court nominee, appointed, and then after that to get Brett Kavanaugh appointed. And what he did after stonewalling Merrick Garland, President Obama's pick, for I don't know how many months. A year Ten months? or eight months. yeah, Something like that. Hundreds of days. Uh, after doing that, McConnell changed the Senate rules so that you don't need 60 votes to get a Supreme Court justice on the court. You just need 51, which he got with Mike Pence, I think, waiting in, at least in the case of Brett Kavanaugh. Um, and there you go. Trump's got to picks on the high court, neither of which would have been confirmed if he had to get 60 votes to get them there. Neither of them got close to 60 votes. So that was nuclear option number one that Mitch McConnell took. And as a lot of people say, this is just yet another step toward making the Senate like the House where everything is done by a simple majority. And it's a little more raucous. The Senate is supposed to be this great deliberative debating society that cools the passions of the masses that are expressed in the House and on and on. And McConnell is marching the Senate toward uh, behaving a lot more like the House. He is not the first person to go nuclear. Harry Reid did a little bit of a nuclear move to get uh, more federal judges on lower courts approved in the Obama era. But what Mitch McConnell did and is about to do are those things are on a kind of different scale. So he got rid of the 60 vote threshold for Supreme Court justices, kind of important, highest court in the land. And now to stack the lower federal bench with Trump appointees, he is going to cut the time that is allowed for debating Trump nominees, many of whom need a lot of debate because they're crazy conspiracy theorists, unqualified, uh, non-legal scholar Types, mm-hmm. And so you've got 30 hours at present and debate can go on for 30 hours. McConnell is proposing to cut that by like down to one fifteenth size. I think it's going to be two hours now. Mm-hmm. And the reason that needs to happen is so that they can fill 100 plus vacancies before Trump's term is up. If they had to go by the 30 hour rule, they just couldn't get all the people they want through. So they're going to court pack. Yeah. And there's nothing that the Democrats can do about it. The Senator Richard Shelby said it best. Where you have control of the Senate, they don't. That's what's going on. <laughs> so it becomes yet another argument, potentially, for just doing away with what they call the filibuster altogether, which is essentially the 60 vote majority for most of what the Senate
2: does and another argument for doing away with the senate altogether which is (laughs) an arcane body that uh gives
1: uh too much power to the states that's the thermonuclear option exactly yeah (laughs) So Democrats, a lot of the Democratic presidential candidates are kind of dipping their toe in the maybe I support removing the filibuster waters. And part of the rationale is if Democrats win back the Senate, as some people think they might in 2020, and we have a Democrat in the White House and the Democrats hold the House of Representatives – And you do away with the filibuster for everything, then Democrats can run the table on all the policies that they want to get through for two years Mm -hmm. until Republicans take the Senate back over and do the same thing in reverse. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have the answer to this one, Rich. It's yet another one of those. Should we get down in the mud with them and do like they do and, you know, remove the filibuster or should we be better than absolutely them? remove
2: the filibuster? We're never going to get big policy proposals through that eventually will stick. You know, if we they everyone's making fun of the Green New Deal by everyone, I mean horrible Republicans with like pictures of unicorns or whatever on the fucking House floor or the Senate floor or whatever that guy was. But these things have a habit of these big Socialist scaremongery um, uh, programs. When they pass, they stick. Look no farther than Obamacare, which is currently a thorn in the side of the Republican Party. They still don't know how to how to deal with it. We get rid of the filibuster. We can pass something like the Green New Deal. Not that we will. I'm being aspirational. There's a lot of bad Democrats who aren't going to want to pass the legislation necessary to affect those changes. But yeah, I think we do it. And yeah, we also pack the courts and we play. We do all kinds of fucking. You know, uh, institutional level chicanery uh, to uh, try to gain back as much power as we've lost by not bringing guns to knife fights, etc.
1: Katie, you're kind of not into the passion of the masses and mob rule and things like that. Sort of the reasons that the Senate and the filibuster were created.
0: I don't particularly have an opinion on this, but I do think that everything that You know, let's take, for instance, like, um, all right. Remember, do you remember Barack Obama? (laughs) Okay. So when every, every day, every day. (laughs) So when uh, (laughs) you light your candle at your altar Um, (laughs) and so when Obama was president and he was making all of these, uh, these big, uh, you know, executive orders all of which, for the most part, I was in favor of, a lot of which had to do with like protecting national lands and stuff like that. And I was really into you know, executive orders. And then Trump comes into office, and now all of a sudden I'm really opposed to executive orders. So I think that there should be a little bit of like... Acknowledgement that we care about these things, we have strong about these op- opinions about these things. Mostly when it affects our side, and that the rules are fucked up, and that you can, if you can use the, the rules to do, to do things that that your side agrees with, then we appreciate it. And if the rules are going to hurt your side, if Trump's going to use it to build a fucking wall, then we're against the rules. So I do think that there is a little bit of, like, not hypocrisy really, but sort of, I don't know, moral wishy-washiness on these Senate rules. Um, or
1: short short-sightedness playing for the short-term short-sightedness
0: um and the republicans are clearly as guilty of that as the democrats i mean unfortunately federal appointments are lifetime or federal judgeships are lifetime unfortunately so mitch mcconnell when he succeeds at doing this the courts will be packed for a very long time not just until the next uh the next government turnover yeah
1: i don't know the way out of this one either what trump and mcconnell and senate republicans are doing is just demonstrating over and over again the way the system is broken. They push beyond the limits and they can do it because they have power. And then they, they make gains for their side doing that. And then it's either up to the Democrats to go them one worse or come back and fix it. Right. At which point they are also kind of hamstringing themselves. Right. So this is the, the trap of the moment. Although sometimes the Republicans and Trump go maybe a little too far and rein themselves in, for example, Donald Trump wanting to repeal Obamacare. We were talking about this last week. And just a quick update after most of the Republican Party said, no, 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 don't promise that the Republicans will become the party of health care because we actually have no plan. Our only plan is to repeal Obamacare. And if you promise you're going to repeal Obamacare before the next election and come up with a better plan, then you do have to roll out a better plan before the next election. And we don't have a plan. So what are you doing? At which point Trump said, OK, yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm just imagining an internal Trump thought process, which. Just, Do you think the, that
0: exists? It's I, just like white noise. I was nice. going to say,
1: yeah, it's dangerous. But someone maybe said to Trump, look, you, you, we, we, the Republicans, lost the House because of health care. You're going to lose us the Senate and the presidency by revealing that we have no alternative to Obamacare. And Trump was like, oh, I got it. Dude. Does what he always does. Like I've got a plan, but it's secret, and I won't reveal it until the cliffhanger is over, until the next episode, and the next episode is my next term. <laughs> so I will give you my new healthcare plan in my next term. I think.
2: I think the motivation for the the new uh, attacks on on Obamacare. I think. I think I read it in political, I want to say that is Mick Mulvaney, uh, h- horrible, red faced. Um, Uh, conservative who's insane and who is, Also extremely bad at trivia, as we've learned from Ashley Feinberg. And is Trump's chief of staff. And is Trump's chief of staff and was the head of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau uh, after uh, Elizabeth Warren and runs maybe like – let's just say half of – and he's the budget chief too. So he runs like half of Trump's uh, administration. He really pushed uh, for uh, Trump to go on the attack on the ACA because he thinks that the base really wants them to repeal the ACA and I bet Trump really loves just – a being on the attack. And but they can't win on healthcare. Nobody trusts the Republicans with healthcare. So as long as they want to keep healthcare in the news and talk about how they want to take away millions of
1: people's uh, healthcare, I am totally fine with that. All right, Rich, thank you. Thanks. Katie, thank you. Thank you. Next, we are going to talk about the movie Us. There is really nothing worse than overpaying for like a t-shirt. Oh yeah, I know it something you think you're going to love and then it just falls apart and you paid $150 for it because someone decided t-shirts are now $150. Not at Everlane. Mm -mm. Doesn't happen. Nope. Everlane only makes premium essentials using the finest materials without traditional markups and they tell you their real costs. So, you know, you're never overpaying. Everlane wants you to know what you're paying for and why they are radically transparent about every step in their process from the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with. Because Everlane sells directly to you, their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. Everlane's clothes look better, cost less, and last longer. Essentials like their Cotton Crew t-shirt are what they should be, simple, stylish, made from quality materials, and not $150. Also, they look nice. That's right. So does the Everlane puffy jacket that I and you walked in with on this slightly cold spring day. Absolutely. And the Everlane jeans. Completely um, serviceable jeans.
2: They uh, keep out the weather and they feel soft. And look all right. I can wipe my hands with impunity upon them.
1: Right now, you can check out our personalized collection at everlane.com slash blabbermouth. Look like rich or worse, like me. Plus, you'll get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash blabbermouth. Everlane.com slash blabbermouth. Charles Mudete, hello. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Good to have you here. Yeah. Jasmine Kymig, hello. Hi, Eli. Hi. Um, Warning. To listeners of Blabbermouth, we are going to talk about Us, the new movie that has a lot going on in it. And sorry, the depth of this criticism is so profound that we have to talk about the whole movie to support it. So there are going to be some spoilers along the way. If you are anti-spoiler or haven't seen the movie or just can't deal with it, just uh, fast forward or hit stop We're going to really get deep on us. So Jasmine, what is going on broadly speaking in this movie?
4: All right. So, um, us is a film, the second film by Jordan Peele, uh, and it stars Lupita Nyong'o and Winston Duke. Uh, and they play a mother and father, and they have their two children with them. And they're vacationing at Lupita Nyong'o's character's beach house in Santa Cruz, which was near the site of where she had a traumatic event happen to her as a child, where she wandered into a house of mirrors, and she encountered her doppelganger. Um, and was unable to speak afterwards. Um, and so throughout the film, she kind of relates this experience that she had as a child to her husband. And he's a little bit of a dunce and he just he shakes it off. But then they're visited by what the movie refers to as their tethered, like a tethered version of themselves. So they're doppelgangers. um who are um who share the same soul as the characters um but have different bodies so the tethered kind of they they are the worst side of of the characters and
1: this is a horror movie and
4: yeah this is a horror film so a good hour is spent of them just trying to get away from their their tethered versions and then um Maybe about three fourths of the way through, you start to realize that it's a whole world um, that everyone has this tethered other, um, and so the film kind of culminates in um, this huge kind of exposition of what the tethereds are—that they're like these this government program—and um, you know, like the, it gets it gets easily kind of explained away towards the end um and uh and Nyong'o kills her other and then the the big reveal i'm i'm spoiling it totally um
1: hit stop now if you need to
4: <laughs> yeah is that uh she actually switched place as a child the other the doppelganger actually switched places with the real version of herself oh. so at the end she she kills um the doppelganger kills the the real version and who then had been goes on tra- trapped yeah
1: to live as if she were the real version yeah Okay, so the other thing that we should say, just in case anyone has missed this, is all of the characters, pretty much. I haven't seen it, but I've seen the trailers and so on. Yeah, the protagonists and uh, the people who are coming to get them are black.
4: Right. right. This is an
1: all-black cast.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's there's two white characters, but they play like pretty yeah. minor roles. Yeah. Uh, and, and Elizabeth Moth. Yeah, Elizabeth Moth. Mawson, that guy from Tim and Eric.
1: So, Charles, what did you think of this
3: film? Um, you know, I'm still processing it, weirdly enough, after all the time. I think I watched it almost two weeks ago. And, um, the, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a cultural critic, the first thing that struck me wasn't sort of the story, but it was on two, two things. That's the first, the first two things that struck me. And one is, um, is, uh, there's this whole thing, that sort of, I think, goes back to, like, Black Panther, which is, um, I call it sort of the Afropolitan aspect of the film, meaning that, although the family's black, but when one is uh, is from the Caribbean black, and another one's black African, then you have black Americans, mm-hmm. and they're all, you know, they're all playing, you know, a black family, and that, that that kind of casting is interesting in a sense, um, um, because it's uh, it's, as, it's as if there's a a new attempt at a sort of pan Africanism, but through Hollywood, mm-hmm. which is a strange channel for an old, um, very um, radical political project that was abandoned around the nineteen seventies after the, the the decline of the Black Power movement. You can think of uh, the marriage between Stanley Carmichael and um and and, and Miriam Makeba right sort of represented that 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 period of uh intense feeling for um black international connectedness right so that's one and i, this, I know
1: that's that doesn't tell you anything about the movie <laughs> <laughs> but it connects it, to, it very interestingly to yeah, black well, panther into something yeah. That's, going on maybe in the director's mind
4: yeah and i, I should mention um yeah winston duke and lupita nyonga were both in pa- black panther for those that haven't seen so, it yeah. um amazingly and uh winston duke he's from trinidad and uh, lupita is from kenya uh and jordan himself is or jordan peele is um he's american um
1: what about what's well, achieved
4: my
3: second thing oh brilliant <laughs> my second thing is be quick it'll be quick this one's not going to be so long, but I was also interested in, in the representation of uh we me- um women- female hysteria in the film right and it's a there's a long history of this right about women um being sort of um too too worried right too cautious frenzied at time and and you know that that, that that's the lead role is, is 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 built in that way. we learned at the end of the film that she wasn't nuts or she wasn't she was absolutely scared of being revealed by the real other mm-hmm. and so that's the but so she has to go out i mean the performance has it, it really pushes that 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 kind of uh, that kind of um, trope mm-hmm. right of the unstable hysterical woman and yeah but then you realize it was all rational from the beginning to the end because
4: i think lupita she her performance like she kind of plays her cards close to her right Right. and i think a lot of times in horror films like i I always think of um wendy from the shining right where she's just screaming basically the entire movie right right right? but lupita you know i mean she has to play two people right she has to play herself and the other and she has to create a relationship between them. Right. And and one that kind of knows what's really going on. And then even in her and the character that's focused on Adelaide, you kind of get a sense that you're not, you don't know everything that she knows, but she, it's a, it's an amazing performance to watch. It's, it's incredible.
1: Just when you say that having to play oneself and the other, or be aware of oneself and another, it, it sort of brings up for me, this, uh, I assume, I haven't seen the movie, but that it's impossible to watch a horror movie with an all-black cast in America without absorbing some of it as a comment on or a view into the situation, for lack of a better word, lack of a more precise word, of being black in America.
4: Yeah, Okay. on that point, I felt like, weirdly, he didn't make a huge comment about it, right? Like, I I think, you know, I'm black and I watch movies, and I think that we, when we see black folks, like, on screen or, like, black stories, that we expect this kind of... We expect that, right? And I think I was expecting that kind of thing, like, this is a comment on what it's like to be black. But I think that he kind of weirdly avoids it, that he could have, like, fleshed it out a lot more. And I think that the fact that everyone in the world had a tethered person Um, that, that is where it it gets kind of wonky because it loses like this whole idea of like the other as like a colonized body or, you know, that kind of bigger commentary on like what, you know, what other life could we have lived or, you know, that kind of thing. And so I I don't think that it, it actually said anything super huge about race specifically. Like race is certainly brought up and is an aspect of the film, but it, it's not trying. It's not trying to make a huge statement like it out. I think even in interviews, he said that specifically, where he didn't really want to make it pointed about race. But like he did say that you've never seen a black man buy a boat on film, and that <laughs> happens. That happened to us, mm-hmm. right? So I, he's he's certainly aware of it. But I wouldn't say that I could point to you know this was about you know how slavery really is about the mind, or it was like you know you know mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. it's not that a, at all at least to me
1: so if so maybe i was or sounds like definitely i was going too big with like what i would assume uh would be part of the movie does it succeed then just as a horror f- flick oh you know
3: um uh, that i can't tell you um because i'm not a i don't follow horror films i i'm just interested in this particular horror film right and um and there's you know i mean uh there is a I'm not sure if it succeeds. Um I mean I wasn't really I mean I can't say I was scared. I mean I was always interested in interpreting what was going on more than um the 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 danger that the family was in, the the spooky moments, you know, the tension and something breaking and all that sort of stuff. But um I want to say that um I think that the film though is 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 the the, the is about race in a way. And um and only because, um, there's two things. Um, one is if you ever watch uh, North by Northwest by Alfred Hitchcock, right? There's a scene where um Cary Grant gets on the train with his sunglasses. He's he's running from the law, right? And um and he's he's served he's served um you know he goes to the he's served by by different um, uh, um um men, right? And they're all black right and this, and I always watch that scene because to me um what's happened what happens is the because I identify with the people who are who are you know who are working the train as servers and whatever they are I always call it sort of this marginal blackness right so you I always see the blackness in the margins in films like that and then and so I'm always looking at the side I almost lose con you know I'm not paying attention to Cary grant I, I want to you know i look behind him and see, oh, that black man looks just like my uncle right. <laughs> <laughs> didn't you have a job like that or something like that was that what it was like you know what i mean and mm-hmm. in a sense what what i what i think that um uh uh, uh us did was it reversed that mm-hmm. and so you're starting to see see white on the margin right and often they're you know dead on the street you yeah, know? That was, yeah. <laughs> that, that's sort of startling right where they're just completely marginalized you know and you have to you have to see them you see them but they're behind and they're not um they're not driving the story right they're not um absorbing the narrative they are they are they are people you have to see over the shoulder or around, you know, on the side of the movie. And that, that was interesting. And I think that, 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 I think that was deliberate. And the second other element I think that's related to race is, um, um, has to do with uh, the first person who dies in the film. Yeah. It was white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I was like, wow, that, that's a change. I'm not saying that all the time, that blacks, you know what I mean? But it was, it was striking.
1: Yeah. And there's one other scene. Well, no, where, just go there with what you're talking about. Are you talking about how in a lot of horror movies or even action movies, the first person who really <laughs> gets it is not, the white guy is that well, the white-
4: it's a, it's specifically the black character <laughs>
1: yeah, right <In laughs> always
4: this- the first to, and like yeah. scary movie kind of played around with that for yeah. sure and I, I think made it more of a thing yeah. um you know that like why is the black person always the first to die <laughs> you know uh-huh. but i didn't i did notice that in, and in then the there's film.
3: a weird scene between two teenage girls Well, two a one black teenage girl and an yeah two teenage girls right one's black one's white and it is brutal yeah yeah and it's it takes it it it's a. Uh, the the black girl beats the white girl, and it's a long scene, and it's probably longer than it should be. But I don't know. I was wondering what people, white people, felt about that scene when I was in the audience. You know I, wanted, I actually it's looked such at the well, a film. yeah, because well, you're you, the the person she's beating is a is a, is one of the tethered is not human, I suppose it would be she's a, she's a shadow mm-hmm. of of a human teenage girl. So there's that. So she's not really killing or beating a a white girl, but
4: she looks just like, um, um, the girl that she knows hmm. the real
3: person. And so what you, yeah, so you have the story, but what you're actually seeing is
1: this, this is, it's this very violent, you know, um, you know, I mean, I could imagine the director saying to a white audiences, are you able to see this story that I'm actually telling yeah. or can you only watch this and see a white woman being yeah. beaten by a black woman? That's right. And that's, that's interesting to me. I mean,
3: I don't know how we could watch that and simply um, ignore the racial, the racial aspect of it. Right. And so... So, there's those things in the film that I think color the movie.
4: Also, <laughs> maybe the first time we ever seen sister locks on, on screen. Um, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a character have Lupita's specific um, hair style, at least in like a, a main oh, right. Hollywood film. And I think that's also important because like you know there's so many different kind of natural hairstyles that are really common within the black community that a lot of people don't see and so i just want to give a shout out to jordan for including that really nice sister lock
1: wig that lupita was wearing
4: (laughs) (laughs) throughout the whole film sweating through it getting blood all over it so shout out to you
1: all right if you made it this far and you're mad about spoilers why didn't you listen but also sorry for the spoilers go see the movie. Yeah, this sounds yeah. like it's worth it. It's yeah, definitely it's, worth it. It's, it's, a, it's worth watching. And Charles, yeah. thank you. All right. Thank you for having me here. Jasmine, thank you. Thanks, Eli. And that's the show. Heads up, BlabberMath listeners. We will be off next week, but back the week following. Don't worry. If you've got something you want to say to Rich Smith, Jasmine Kymig, Charles Medati, Katie Herzog, or me, call the Blabber phone. 206 302 2063 or dive on into our Blabbermouth podcast Facebook group. Thanks as always to Ahmed J. Alua for making the music we use on the show each week and to Nancy Hartunian for bringing our blabbering mouths to your ears.